This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 110, Sports, Part 2. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back. I should have seen it coming. Three preachers commenting on a combination of the gospel and sports, you're bound to go long. So here is the second half of my conversation with Brent Nudy, preacher at the Decker Prairie Church of Christ in Houston, and David Osteen, preacher for the O'Connor Road Church of Christ in San Antonio. In this final segment, we start with bocce and move on to topics including Tom Brady, Nick Saban, and a certain podcaster of mutual acquaintance whose name must remain unspoken. This is what I've been playing. Bocce has been my family's favorite backyard game for years. If you've seen curling during the Olympics, it's much the same, just without the ice. A small ball is tossed into the court, and the team that tosses its own ball closest to it gets a point. But if your team has two, three, or even four balls closer than any ball from the other team, you get two, three, or even four points. More is always better. I fear some Christians are satisfied with just getting by while fighting the good fight of faith. One point's just as good as two or three. What are some practical ways we can turn good results into excellent results? Well, I, I had to actually look this game up because I hadn't played it before. <laughs> I guess I had, I had seen it before maybe somewhere, but I didn't know the name or exactly how it all worked. But uh, yeah, it does look pretty interesting. I like the, the format because I think our whole family could play. Uh, but yeah, the image is great. I mean, trying to throw the balls close. and But in terms of, of practical application, I think the biggest thing in terms of Christianity is just the temptation to follow all the rules and think that's all you've got to do. You know, like I'm just going to play by the rules of the game. And I know we kind of, we talked about this previously and we're talking about running the race and not being disqualified. And of course the rules are important, um, but it's not really about the rules. It's about the results. If I'm just satisfied with fulfilling whatever I think my Christian duty is, I'm not really understanding the point. I'm just happy to be in the game, throwing the ball not trying to get the end result, just drawing near to God and having this relationship with God. In life, it's always a temptation to pull back and forth. I mean, we're in this material world and there's things we have to do in this material world. I've got to work. I've got to make money and provide for my family. And sometimes that involves getting an education. And I mean, there's all kinds of things we're doing. And so we're pulled back and forth and it can be hard to remember what is the primary thing, what is most important. I don't care if you're a husband or a wife, or a father, or a mother, or a child. I mean, wherever you fall, it's just so easy to lose sight of the true goal and be satisfied with where we are. If you listen to the champions, they rarely ever give credit to their physical ability. You know, I mean, it seems to always be their work ethic, their self-discipline, their mindset. And I think that same principle would apply to us, you know, and living our Christianity. So much of it is about mindset because that's going to determine everything else that we do to make us fit for the kingdom or not, you know, and being workers in the kingdom or not. If you had to pick a team, you had a team of five people, and your soul salvation depends upon how your team does, the faithfulness of your team, the work of your team. Preachers are off limits. Elders are off limits. you got to pick somebody else besides that. Who do you pick? And that right there is a sort of self-test, self-evaluation. Would I be picked? If not, why not? Those are the things I need to change. I think we feel like if things aren't good, well, we can just add more stuff, right? I'll just read my Bible more or I'll just pray more and that'll be the solution. 
to me getting stronger and, and growing. And of course, those things can certainly help, but they only help if our attitude is correct. If we are really taking on the mind of Christ, like we're told we need to do, if we're really denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. I mean, if it's just a matter of trying to add some things so that I'm doing enough good things to feel good about it, that's not really the solution. I mean, we're always going to struggle and have issues. And so a lot of it's the perspective, you know, and that's sort of what I think David was getting at a minute ago. The mindset we take into this is key. I mean, that's, that's really everything, which is what Paul's trying to get at in Philippians 2, 5 and following, that we should be taking on this mind of Christ and living that out in our life. Christ is perfect. He was sinless. He gave his life to accomplish the will of God. And I think we all understand that we aren't perfect and then we are sinless, but it's still taking on that mentality, uh, sacrificial mentality. And when we go there, all the other things will take care of themselves. I mean, if I'm really living for Christ, I, I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to develop these relationships. Am I doing this, like you said earlier, how just to get by? I mean, just so the elders won't come talk to me or I won't feel like the preacher is talking at me. I mean, is that why I'm doing it? Or am I actually doing this to please God and to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with brethren? I mean, what's my purpose in all of this? And I think when we start asking that question, you know, why am I doing this? That begins to bring out important answers for us in our life about where we are and where we stand. I think somehow we've gotten through this entire conversation referring to sport after sport. And the one that we have not mentioned is the most popular sport of all in our culture anyway, which is football. When I look at, at two people, I look at Tom Brady and Nick Saban, two people who have achieved at an unbelievably high level that, and, and done so repeatedly to the point where we expect them to succeed. We expect <laughs> them to succeed at the highest level possible. And they're an underdog. Yeah. <laughs> you go back to him being drafted. Exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. He started out as an underdog story. There's a tendency oftentimes to resent habitual success. In the church, in, in religious circles today, we look at Robbie Zacharias, people who were held in high esteem, and, and there's a certain amount of resentment there. Well, they, they're not so great. They're not so hot. And, and then they have the big fall, and we, we pat ourselves on the back, and we say, I knew it. They were too good to be true, et cetera. And we use their failures or their underachieving as an excuse for us to not strive for achieving ourselves. They're not really any better than I was anyway. Well, that may or may not be true, but either way, it's not an excuse for you to underachieve. I, I think the problem is we don't want to act like Tom Brady. We don't want to act like Nick Saban. We want to do what we are doing and get the results that they get. We look at this, this crazy diet that supposedly Tom Brady is on, and, and we talk about the process that Nick Saban goes through and how insanely high his expectations are, and we balk at that. We resent that. I don't want to have to do that. Well, nobody told you you had to, but if you want to achieve like they achieve, doesn't it seem reasonable that you ought to do more like they are doing? Push yourself and have high expectations for yourself be the kind of person who can achieve at that level. If, you, if you're satisfied with getting into the league, that's setting the bar too low. Why don't you try to be in the Pro Bowl? Why don't you try to be in the playoffs? Why don't you try to be in the playoffs consistently? Why don't you try to take your team to the Super Bowl? Why don't you try to win the Super Bowl? And once you start winning things, everybody's all on your case about how when you're going to quit. 
don't you get tired of these conversations with Brady and Saban? Inevitably, what they always say is, why would I retire? I, I'm doing what I love. I'm doing it well. I'm, I'm having success. I'm making a difference. I'm going to keep doing this until I can't do it. Why not have that kind of attitude as Christians? We have a, a mutual acquaintance who has a relatively well-known podcast that he calls Excel Still More from 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 10, right? And the reason Chris Emerson does as well as he does is because he tries himself to excel still more. And that's a model for me. That's an example for me. I can work harder than I do. I can do better than I do. Unfortunately, that usually means more effort, means more research. It means disciplining myself like we've been talking about this entire time. But I can do that. It's just a matter of will. It's a matter of whether I'm willing and able to do the work. And it takes a lot of humility. That's the key. You have to be willing to admit that where you are is not sufficient. And that's hard for a lot of us to do, to be humble enough to admit that right now we're not doing as good as we could be doing and in whatever area that is. And it's different for everyone, but there's got to be a willingness to admit that. And that's just hard. Uh, it's hard to admit it to yourself. It's hard to admit it to others. I'm very good friends with Chris. I, I just think one of the one of the things I see in him and, and people like him is over the years, even more so, it's just a willingness to admit those areas that need change. And that produces results. And I, I think that's a key, but it takes a lot of humility to do that. I mean, that's so hard to do, to admit to our spouse, to admit to our close friends where we're weak or where we need help. Um, and maybe even more so, and this is unfortunate, maybe even more so for, for us, for guys who are preachers, Maybe we have that temptation to feel like we've got to stand up there and, and be perfect and every, you know, people look up to us. And so we can't admit that we have failings. And as David mentioned earlier, I mean, that's totally wrong. Uh, I've had the same exact experience as David. I mean, I think the times where my material has been received the very best is when I've been most open to the things I'm struggling with. That's where people, they attach themselves to what you're doing and what you're saying and you made everyone a part of the story instead of just talking down to people and being condescending, you know, and well, you need to do this and you need to change that. I mean, when you start putting yourself in that as a preacher, I think people understand that they naturally are drawn to that. Preachers can't be satisfied with where we are either. And everybody knows that. And so it's all a show. I mean, it's all a facade when we get up and act like this is stuff other people need to work on. And, and I think that's true even beyond just the pulpit. I mean, we, we all are in that situation and all of us need growth and we should never be satisfied with where we are. And, and you've talked about Brady and Saban and all those guys. We, we actually love that in sports when we see a guy. And of course, the commentators talk about, you know, this guy, he works eight hours a day. I mean, to the point where, I mean, most of these guys are like neglecting their families and neglect, you know, but that's an honorable thing in sports. Right. I mean, it's like this big thing that they, they, they're the last one to leave the gym, right? Or the last one to leave the field. And they're always working. And we hold that up in high regard. On the other hand, I've heard, I mean, I've been in a situation where there was a, a family that I would say was very committed. And there was others, well, they're, you know, they're just super extreme Christians, you know, kind of like this is like a negative thing. They put themselves into everything so much. And well, they're just kind of extreme. I mean, no, that's actually the way it ought to be. You know, and I, I wish I was more like that. I wish my family was more like that. I mean, we should hold that up in high regard rather than the guy who spends 16 hours a day in the gym and not with his family. Sometimes we get those things backwards and maybe that's a good lesson to learn 
from some of this in terms of application and what we hold up in high regard? One of the greatest compliments you can give an athlete uh, or a successful person is to mistake their hard work for talent mm-hmm. and to, you know, just think they are where they are because they were born with it and they're talented because they make it look so easy. People don't see the work that people put in behind the scenes. And y'all mentioned Chris a couple of times. I think that's one of the things that people mistake about Chris. He does have he does have natural talent, no doubt. But what people don't see is how much work he puts in and how hard he's worked through the years, you know, for decades. At it. And they mistake his hard work for talent. And to me, that's a great compliment. I'm not big on bumper sticker theology, but there is a bumper sticker I saw decades ago that stuck with me and it said, good enough never is. And it speaks to the mindset, right? The second somebody's a Christian says good enough, well, that's a self-defeating statement right there to have that mentality that this is good enough. Well, good enough never is. Uh, we should always be striving to mature and to grow. And I know Brent touched on it perfectly. They're talking about humility is a part of it. That desire to mature and grow is a part of it. You see that, I think, in Hebrews chapter 5 and, and 6 where there's sort of that mentality of being stuck where they are. And he said, you should be teachers by now. You should have grown. You should have matured, right? Where you were was not good enough. You should have been growing and maturing to be better. And the other place that just immediately jumps to mind when, you know, this subject is brought up is Jesus with the parable of the talents. To me, that last guy with the one talent who buries it, you know, he's just sort of that good enough mentality and not the worker's mentality of, of going out and working and doing better and producing more. Again, I know I keep harping on it, but I believe it's important. It's not that one guy's born with it versus another guy being born with it. It's the mindset that we choose to have. You know, do we have the mindset of wanting to grow, of wanting to mature, of wanting to excel, of wanting to get better. And the day that we lose that mindset is the day we start dying spiritually. Yeah. The other side of what you're saying, David, about that, you know, that, that compliment, well, you're so talented is I think the danger of people using that as an excuse to not be what they can be. Absolutely. Because there's, you know, you've, you've experienced this, I'm sure as you know, someone who's worked hard at something, whatever that thing is. And someone says, Oh, you're just so talented. And you're thinking, no, I've put in hours and hours and hours of work at this. It's not about just being talented. And we've all been on the other side too. We look at somebody and man, they're just so natural. They're so talented. I've I've been watching this guy. He's a guitarist and man, he's just amazing. But the temptation is there. Well, look how talented he is. Well, I know if I actually think about it, he has spent countless hours perfecting what he's doing. And the reality is, I think it's really cool, but I'm just not willing to do that as a guitarist. <laughs> I don't, and that's okay. I mean, when it comes to playing guitar or some other thing, it doesn't matter that much. When it comes to our faith and we look at someone and say, wow, they're just so talented. That's a great compliment to them because they have worked to make it look so easy, but we shouldn't on our side, let that be a deterrent and say, well, I, you know, I just can't be what they are. I just can't. Mm-hmm. And everybody's talents are different. Everybody's abilities are different. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can still work to become natural at what we do in the kingdom. And the encouragement there should be, I can do that. In my own yeah. way, I can do that too. I was on Kenny Embry's uh, 
podcast a, a few weeks ago, and, and I mentioned my fondness for one-talent people who act like two-talent people. That ethic of work, the, the jails, the esters, the people who show up and do the job and who are not especially remarkable. I mentioned Amos in the intro. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm here because God told me to be here. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to go home. You pay me. You don't pay me. I don't care. That's, that's not what I'm here for. Uh, you can take the same attitude toward five talent people who want to act like 10 talent people. There are people who do excel still more. Going back to football, Peyton Manning and people like that who are world famous for the time they spend, not just on the practice field, but especially in the film room, who put in the hours, show up early, leave late. They are obsessed with this kind of thing. And if you look at the Ryan Leafs and the Jamarcus Russells and the, the other flameouts who had just all the talent in the world and were drafted very, very high and made a whole lot of money right away and never amounted to anything in the real world, inevitably you come back to film room. You come back to, they did not put in the work. They coasted on their laurels, what they achieved in college or whatever before. They got the big paycheck. They thought they had arrived and they quit working. They quit trying to excel. Great People at this level do not become necessarily great people at this level. You have to continue to try to achieve. And that ought to be our mentality. That ought to be our attitude as we approach the things of God. Why wouldn't I want to be better than I am? Why would I want to be satisfied with this? I want to be more responsible. I want to have more things thrust upon me. I want to have, have more things asked of me. Maybe it won't work. Maybe I'll find out I'm beyond my limits and I back up a little bit and I retrench and I, I work a little bit harder and maybe I'll do better the next time. But I continue to grow. I continue to strive. And you're going to face resentment and bitterness in that whole process. I just think that's a reality. I try to teach my kids. I don't care what you're talking about. I guarantee you those athletes who do that, they have people around them saying, why are you doing that? You know, they're faced with those Ryan Leaf types. and like, Hey, you made it. Why, why are you doing all this? Right. I and mean, then they've got those voices. That's why they're different. I mean, that's why these people who are successful are different because they don't quit. And in our spiritual walk, and there's going to be people, there's going to be people you don't expect. There's going to be people who you would think would be an encouragement who are going to be just the opposite. And so you might as well accept that now and realize if you're going to progress, you're going to have to push through those voices saying, you know, why are you making this decision? Why are you, you know, you're just putting too much effort in. You're, you're working too hard. You're going to have those voices telling you that people who are upset with your success, you know, you, you're doing really well. You're going to have people who are jealous of that. I don't think ill of my brethren. I, I'm just being real. You better recognize there's going to be people who aren't going to like that effort for whatever the reason may be. And may just be a few people. I think most people are great and encouraging, but you're going to have that. And so you might as well understand it now and, and realize you don't need to listen to those voices. You need to push through and become what you need to become in the kingdom. One of the hardest things for me as a, as a Christian, especially at the time that I've been a preacher, is knowing the people who do have ability but are choosing not to exercise it in their kingdom work. And, and that's consistently one of the most discouraging things. I, I don't get as discouraged by the people who, uh, the people, myself included, right? When, when people sin or fall short, it's not that. The hardest thing is the people who just seem to not care. Either they don't realize or they don't care how discouraging that can be to the rest of the team. 
you know what works in a team, a guy who's not talented or a guy who has all the talent in the world, but he's not trying. You know, that's when that's the guy that, uh, when you're on a team that people are most upset with. Right. The guys who have the ability, but they're not exercising or they have the talent, but they're not putting in time and effort and doing the work. Right. And, and those guys actually bring the team down. I know a big one a couple of years ago was, you know, the guys not showing up for practice. Right. And how discouraging and disheartening that is to the rest of the team. And uh, not to, you know, talk all about attendance, but attendance does matter. Right. And, uh, and showing up matters and showing up encourages and not showing up discourages. And there really is at the heart of this, as Brandon talked about before, that that humility mindset of being a team player and working for the team and, and having the self-discipline. But on the other side of that, you do have the selfish mindset of the people who don't care and the people who aren't willing to work or, or typically people who have a selfish mindset. And that's addressed, well, two places really. I had to turn to Ephesians, but really Philippians chapter two, right? Do nothing from selfishness or with empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. If I'm truly doing that, then in the church, I'm going to be a part. I'm going to be participating. I'm going to be doing what I can. I'm going to be growing, maturing, and, and working in the Lord. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's what a teammate does. And that's how a teammate lifts the team up, right? And then going back to Ephesians chapter 4, that we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. The person who has the mentality of good enough is good enough is not working properly. <laughs> you know, that, that individual part is not working right. It's not working properly if they have a good enough mindset. And so he says, working proper to, according to each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If you're not helping the church body grow, if you think this is just good enough, just be mindful of how you're going to have to stand before God in judgment for that. And that takes us back to the, the one talent man, right? That sort of personal selfish mentality and, and not thinking of others and not serving others, which is central to Christianity. I mean, that's the big part of the message of what Christ has done and what Christ has done for us. And what should we be doing as a result of that, right? And that should be motivating us and passionately it should be motivating us with zeal in service to God and recognizing the connection that I can't be zealous in service to God without being zealous in service to God's people. My son, I mentioned his baseball team earlier. He's 10 years old. We've had multiple team meetings, not just our team, but the whole organization where they come together and they, okay, when you exit your vehicle, you have to be in full uniform. You cannot take off your cleats. You're supposed to keep your hat on the entire time you're at the facility. If you're not going to be at a practice, you have to let a coach know ahead of time or a game. I mean, there's this huge emphasis on how everything you're doing impacts everything around you, even for 10-year-olds. And there's actually an 8U team as well, the same message. I mean, these are 7-year-olds, 9-year-olds. There's something being said all along the way, and it matters. It makes a difference. The people who run these facilities have told the organization how much they appreciate the way the kids act and how they respect the fields and how they, how they look when they're there. I mean, it's a, the whole picture, the whole thing matters, which is really hard to get a, a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old to understand. 
maybe shouldn't be as hard to get a 35 year old to understand. And like you said, it's not just about attendance. It's about the whole picture. I mean, there's times when things come up and we all, we all get that. Christianity is not just about every time the doors open, walking through the door. I mean, it's important to be there and to be there for your team, as you were saying, but it's also, again, we keep coming back to it, to it. It's the mentality. It's the, the way we see things and that we're putting ourselves fully into it. Even when things don't go the way we want. I mean, we are, we're for each other and we're backing each other up and we are keeping each other in the loop and all of those sorts of things that are really important to any kind of group. And we understand this everywhere else even on a 12 youth baseball team, we get the, the fact that we need to communicate. There's a way we present ourselves. I mean, all that sort of stuff that maybe seems so minor, but we realize actually it, it does matter. It influences the people around us, influences other people on the team. So I mean, that's a great point. I mean, just thinking about one of the things for me, I, I, I hate being in the parking lot with one minute before service starts rushing the whole family in the door. I mean, it just, it just drives me crazy. And with four kids, it's just one of those things that tends to happen every once in a while. But I just, I think it's so much better when we're there 10 minutes early. Well, does that matter? I mean, is that going to keep me from going to heaven or whatever other phrase we want to use because I show up at 729? No, but there's something significant. I mean, I want to be there early because I want to be with those brethren and I want to spend time with them. I love Decker Prayer where we are. I mean, the people you're talking about being discouraged by people not living up to what they could be. And I just, I just love the fact that when I walk into that building, I see a bunch of people who are all in and they're living for Christ and they want to serve and they, and they're, they're doing it, not just in the building, but they've got nonprofit organizations that they're using for all kinds of other things. But also part of that is just because they're God's people and they want to help and they want to serve. That's what a congregation is supposed to be. And that's what God's people are supposed to be there for each other, helping each other grow and progress. You know, it's a weird contrast when you think about it. There, there is a very real sense throughout the Bible of a, it's like George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. You're in or you're out. It's you're a sheep or you're a goat. You're saved, you're not. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? It's, it's one or the other. And we get into this relationship with Jesus through baptism, which is itself a you're in or you're out kind of thing. You either did it or you didn't do it. And I think that maybe there is some, well, I don't, let me rephrase that. I definitely know there are some people who take a great deal of solace in that, knowing that I am on the right side. I have lined up behind Jesus. I was baptized. I am one of the good guys and mission accomplished. But when you're in Christ, once, you know, on the other side of baptism, Virtually everything, if not everything, I can't think off the top of my head of an ex- of exception to this. The things that we do are all relative. It's not a, did you have faith or not? Did you love your neighbor or not? Are you generous or not? Do you pray or not? It's all a spectrum where you can move up or you can move back if you want to. And if we're not careful, we can become so complacent in our salvation as we perceive our salvation that we don't try to move up this scale. And obviously God's going to be the judge of the intentions of our heart. And we're not getting into that, but why would it not be our mentality once we are saved to be not as saved as we can be? That's the wrong way of looking at it, but as faithful as we can be, as dutiful as we can be, as reliable as we can be, as generous as we can be, as loving as we can be, 
there's always another step on this on this ladder that we're on here. We can always do a little bit better. Why wouldn't we want to do a little bit better? We certainly hope that our brethren are getting better because that helps us. Well, maybe if we have the attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians 2 that David alluded to before, if we are thinking about others' things and not our things, well, if I push myself, that helps somebody else. And, you know, it might help me too, as far as that goes. So why wouldn't I do that? In theory, we should be able to know the Bible through the teaching of Christians, through the actions of Christians. If you profess to be a Christian, and I've never read the Bible, but you profess to be a Christian, I should be able to learn from your actions to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I should observe that in you as a Christian, right? I should be able to learn and love your neighbors yourself because I observe that in you. So Christians are the products of the Bible and and reading the Bible and living Christianity, right? What if it was the other way around? What if the Bible was written according to how Christians live? Using 1 Corinthians 15, 58 as an example, Mm The Bible says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But sometimes if you would observe the behavior of somebody who professes to be a Christian, you would think that the verse says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be lackadaisical, mutable, always deficient in the work of the Lord. I think we have to do that self-evaluation and ask myself, am I living what Jesus tells me to live, what the scriptures tell me to live. If, if other people are observing, other people who aren't Christians, right, are observing Christianity through my behavior, what is that teaching them? What would that tell them? Another passage that's always just been personal to me is Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 9. Uh, he who is slacking his work is brother to him who destroys. That's just always really hit me between the eyes. What I don't do, right, is it's harmful to the Lord. Who's the person who's trying to destroy the church? Jesus or the devil? Well, Jesus is not trying to destroy his church, right? The devil's the right answer. Everybody knows that. Okay, he was slacking his work, his brother to him who destroys. You're a brother of the devil if your mentality is good enough, and I'm going to be lackadaisical in my work to the Lord. I mean, that's not a very comfortable thing to think Mm. about, but it's the truth of the scripture, that you're, you're a brother to the devil by being slack in your work. Well, what's the, what's the cure to that? What's the solution to that? Well, I'll be slack in my work. Let me see what I can do. Let me get busy in my work and service to the Lord. Let me live, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. That's the solution to that because as a disciple, of course, I want to be a brother to, to Jesus. I don't want to be a brother to the devil. I gave a Wednesday night exhortation on that very verse a couple of weeks ago. And, and looking ahead a few chapters to the, the fellow who didn't do anything wrong in his farming. He just didn't do everything that was right. He, he just let it go. He, he slept a little bit extra. He loafed a little bit extra, took a few more vacation days, played a little more golf, whatever it happens to be. And he didn't do the right thing. And he destroyed his farm just as effectively as any arsonist or any burglar uh, would have done. It took a little longer, but it got just as destroyed. That's what you're saying there. The, the brother is the one who vandalizes. They get the same place eventually. I think the key verse to me in all of this, when I usually come back to for myself, is just Jesus' statement that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You can only seek one thing first. So if it's the kingdom first, that's going to produce different results in your life than if you're actually seeking other things first. 
if you're kind of happy with where you are spiritually and so now you're going to pursue your career or now you're going to pursue your education or whatever it is those things are fine but they always need to be secondary if my focus isn't kingdom first people pick up on that we imagine we can hide these things sometimes but people aren't fooled and it does have an influence on the people around us going back to this kind of group mentality which is actually really important in scripture it, it influences the congregation. When you're around a bunch of people who are kingdom first people, it pulls you to a higher level. There's no doubt about it. And when you're not, it's discouraging and it drags you down. And I don't care how much you should say that a person as an individual ought to be doing the best they can, no matter what, when you're around people who are not kingdom first people, and those are the, your friends, those are your, the brethren you're around, it's going to drag you down because we don't live in isolation. We live with people. And of course, we have to lead the way sometimes. I mean, if it's not, we're not seeing what we like, then we have to stand up just like Joshua say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So there's a time for that too. Um, but all of these decisions matter and our, our priorities matter in terms of growth and where we're headed you know, in this life as we're preparing for the next. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.